hate your mom. I know. Isn't it sad? It's the last week of the series. It's amazing to think that it has already been four weeks, but it has. Um, but it is exciting because every week's good, but I think this one is, is really, really good as well. As I said from the beginning, this message series is talking about some of the off-the-wall statements, if you will, that Jesus Christ said while he was here on the earth. Um, these are things that many people would say, I didn't even know that Jesus said that. Maybe other people would say, um, are you sure he said that? That sounds kind of confusing. I really don't understand that yet. They might be a little confused. The whole entire idea that we were talking about from the beginning is to show a different perspective on Jesus Christ than you might have when you started. The whole idea is the fact that we're going to break him free from the standard stock picture that you might have in your mind that's been built up by years of tradition or different people trying to give you a picture of him. And trying to give you a clearer picture on who Jesus really is. Who he really is. What he says in the Bible. Show that Jesus has a personality. He's a real guy. So tonight we continue our series by looking at another statement that Jesus said about himself. I told you these last two were were statements spoken by Jesus about himself. And tonight we get to the one which is entitled, I judge no one. Jesus' words. These were spoken by him out loud. And... um, we get this message title, I'll just give you right away, from John 8.15, and it says this, You judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. Jesus said this to a group of uh, pharisaical teachers, if I believe, when he, when he was talking to them. He ends up giving this to them. So Jesus said it, he says, I don't judge anybody, I judge no one. Which, to a lot of people right now, might seem kind of surprising. Because... Many people have got this very bad taste in their mouth of what Jesus is and how he works, right? They have this feeling that Jesus looks down on them and that he basically is the one that points the finger and says, you're unholy, you know, you're sinful. Like he's this big, this big, obviously, judge in the sky. Um, I say this, most people have a bad idea of how Jesus works because of a multitude of people that claim to be his followers, Most people have a bad taste in their mouth because of a multitude of followers who claim the fact that they are his followers. But here's the problem. Too many times, these people have met these insane, off-the-wall Christians who wish to tell them no more than everything that is wrong in their life. And not really anything else. That's their biggest thing. People begin to believe that this is what Jesus is about. This is the essence of Jesus Christ. Yelling at people who do bad things and telling them that they're horrible for doing it. That that's really who Jesus is because that's what they get a picture of. The world gets their opinion of Jesus through seeing people on the side of the road with those signs like, God will judge you, turn or burn, or really my personal favorite shining example of what a Christian is, God hates fags. There's a great one to throw out for people to go by and see, right? Doesn't it just make you want to love Jesus Christ? And this is where they get this horrible taste in their mouth that when they hear the words Jesus Christ, they think, I don't want anything to do with that guy. If those are the people who follow him, why in the world would I want to know anything about that guy? And I tell you the truth, I would feel the exact same way. When I look at that, it makes me sick. I want nothing to do with these people. People get angry, but here's the deal. I believe the fact that as much as you get angry, as much as the world gets angry at these people, I think that Jesus is even more angry and is even more hurt when he sees these type of people. 
I think that it really hurts him. And I think that if we actually found out more about him, we knew more about this. I mean, there's literally people who claim to be Christians. I've seen this on news before. I don't know if you guys have. That when soldiers die, they go to their burial services and picket and talk about how God hates soldiers. How they died for nothing and how they're going to hell. I saw the interview that she did in which she literally was talking about the fact how God hated war, so these soldiers are going to hell, and she ended, I'm not joking, she ended her conversation with the newscaster by saying, the thing we're preaching is that you're going to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. That was her words to these people. That was honestly what she's, what she's preaching. That is what people are getting a taste of and saying, my God, this is Jesus Christ? I want nothing to do with that. I want absolutely nothing to do with it. Like I said, people see these things and they are absolutely infuriated. And rightfully so. I want to tell you that Jesus is just as infuriated as well. This isn't what he wanted. This wasn't his plan. These people have lost hold of what Jesus said and what he did in the Bible. They have completely lost touch with what the reality of it is. Now, our primary verse that we're going to look at tonight, I know I said 815 is where I actually got the title from, but our, our primary verse that deals with the exact same thing is going to be John 12, 44 through 50. And I want you guys to go ahead and turn there with me because it's a good verse to kind of look off for the whole entire night. Go ahead and get there my other Bible tonight. All right. And here, um, he's talking to uh, disciples, and he's talking to other people and stuff like that. He's talking about the Jews who uh, never seem to get it. Never seem to get it, no matter how many times he says it. So I want to read it to you from 44 to 50. He says this, reading out of the NIV. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him in the last days. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So obviously the very center of that, Jesus' words, um, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. He says it here again. I did not come to judge. He says himself. So he did come to bring a sword, if you guys listened to last week. But he didn't come to judge. All right. Jesus says in this verse, um, and the one we looked at earlier, that that wasn't the point. That's not why he came here. Like I said, many find this maybe kind of hard to believe because their picture of Jesus has been this very, very judgmental figure, kind of this church head figure that has told them a lot about what they've done wrong but really hasn't done much past that. Um, The definition of judging, according to what it's actually used in the Bible, not just like go on Webster's, but if you actually look at what the, at what the um, actual like Greek background is for this word, Greek and Hebrew, what it's really saying is it's used as pronouncing opinion or like concerning whether you think something's right or wrong. That's really what it means when they say judge. 
basically by what the Greek and Hebrew is saying is like making an opinion on and basically judging, is it right or is it wrong? That's what it's saying. So, some of you guys here are saying, now wait a second. I've read some of the Bible. I've heard some of Jesus Christ. And I know that they talk about Jesus Christ judging. It's somewhere in there. I know I've heard it before. And uh, it's true. You're right. It does talk about Jesus, Jesus judging in places in the Bible. Um, we see actually in Revelation 19.11, that's where um, I just read to you last week when it talks about Jesus Christ coming back. It literally says this, um, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. <clears throat> says it there. Um, just read it to you last week, actually. It says when he comes back, he judges with. He judges and makes war. We also see actually in John 9.39, which is really close to what we're just reading here. Um, and this one will really, this, this one will make you think, wait a second, I'm amazed that I'm, I'm even saying this. But he actually says, for judgment I've come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean that I just said, Jesus says, I come to this world not to judge. But then here he says, I come to judge. And it says when he comes back, he's going to judge. What does this mean? What can we take from this? And this is really, once again, I know I've told it to you before in this message series, where you can't just look at words. You can't just look at a word and comparison it to a word. You need to be reading Jesus all the way through, okay, his entire life. So you're not just reading two words and comparing them. But you're comparing a lifestyle, you're comparing his actions, you're comparing everything together to get a real picture of what's meant here. Just like if I hung out with somebody, right? They could say one thing and say another, and I'm thinking, wow, those people, are, like, he's really split-minded. But if I knew the person, I might understand exactly what he means, right? Because I, I understand who he is, where he's coming from. That's what we need to do. So we need to actually look at who he is. Then we can get a better view on this. And here's what I say is this, Okay. When we look at these two different areas, we see kind of a different area, especially at the end. It's talking about the end days, okay, when Jesus comes back. You're talking about a whole different circ- circumstances, a whole different set. He's coming back to end the world at this time. A whole different set of circumstances. That doesn't affect what he's saying here when he says that he came not to judge. It's a whole different time. Now, the part when he says in uh, John 9.39, okay, I really think it's used in a different context. He's talking about making those who don't see, see, and making those who see, not see. I think what he's doing is he's talking about the great reversal, which is many times talked about in Scripture, where it's basically the proud are going to be brought down, and the people who are the lowly are going to be escalated. He's talking really, I think if anything else, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about people being ushered into that. But even past that, what we can really break this down to is just by looking at the Scriptures we can really see um, why this means. And here's, here's what I mean. In John 12, we just read this whole section. And in the middle, I told you, he says, I've come not to judge the world, but to save it. But if you read right before this and right after this, what is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that everything that he does comes through the Father, right? Everything that he does isn't by himself, but it is through God. Well, there's absolutely no mistaking the fact that God is the eternal judge. It talks about time and time again that when it all comes down to it, the Father is going to be the one who judges. 
when the end times come, they say at the end of the world, there will be a day of judgment where everyone will stand in front of God the Father and he will judge basically who is holy and who is unholy, who is righteous and who is unrighteous. I think what he's really saying in this is when you talk about this judgment being brought is kind of like I said last week, Jesus was bringing a message that basically pointed at judgment. He didn't come to judge himself. That wasn't his responsibility. He didn't come here to condemn people. But what he brought, what his message was, brought this idea of condemnation, did it not? He talked about the end times and how there was going to be a judgment. I think he brought it with him. But like I said, I don't think that that is what he's saying as being his main point, what's being his action here on earth. Like I said, there's no absolutely no debating the fact that God's going to be the judge. Uh, Hebrews 10:30, a very good verse that talks about this. And um, talking about judgment, it says, For we know him who said, it's, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It talks about the fact that God is going to judge, and that's a frightening thing the judgment of God. If you guys didn't listen to it, please listen to the past couple messages. Man, cut off your hand, talking all about heaven and hell. Serious. Not a joke. Listen to it. They're talking about the, uh, a fearful and dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord because, I mean, it's scary enough like here, like someone can take your life, but God's talking about your eternity and it's in his hands. So Jesus brought this this future judgment with him, no doubt, because he brought his, his message, faith in him. But he didn't come here to judge. I completely believe what he said when he said this in John 12. He says he does not come to judge, but to save. He's saying that he isn't here to condemn the world, to judge it or pronounce some sort of, some sort of final verdict. That's not his deal. Because really, that's all going to happen anyway. Why would God send Jesus, especially to come here and to pronounce judgment? It's already going to happen. We already know what's going to happen. At the end days, it talks about the fact that all of us are going to be brought into the day of judgment. So why would Jesus have to come here however many years early? We don't know yet until the, until the end of the world. Why would he have to come here earlier and start judging people? It'd just be ridiculous. It'd be a waste of time, wouldn't it? Why would he come here and he start judging? It doesn't make any sense. So he's saying, that's not why I came here to earth. The cool thing is this, is Jesus said, I judge no one. The reason why is because he brought something insanely, insanely cooler. He brought an action a million times more awesome. And he brought basically just, I mean, a whole entire job of his own, a whole entire ministry of his own that was so much more important than just this judgment. You see, the first half of Jesus' statement is what this message is entitled. Because it's interesting to think about the fact that Jesus said, I do not judge anyone. Well, that's crazy because most people think he does. But it's true, Jesus didn't come to judge. But if we stop there, that statement is pretty weak, isn't it? It's kind of lame. It's kind of halfway. I didn't come to judge. People can tell you a lot about what they didn't come to do, right? It doesn't really tell you much, does it? You know, I didn't come here to steal your bike. What did you come here to do, right? That's your next answer, your next question, right? Don't tell me what you didn't come to do. Tell me what you did come to do. And that's really where we see the most awesome part of the story. What's so special 
and what's so right about it. Jesus' statement is poised beautifully as one of the most magnificent sentences that have ever been spoken. In John 12, right here. He says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. Those four last words are bigger than everything else we've already talked about. Bigger than everything else that, uh, that we've talked about this entire message series. Bigger than anything else we could talk about, but to save it. Now, if I would have put out a, if I would have named this message, you know, I came to save the world, everyone would be like, yeah, I've heard that before, haven't I? I've heard that Jesus came to save the world, whatever. Because you guys have heard it, but have you really heard it? Do you really understand it? Do you understand the weight of this sentence? I did not come to judge this world, but to save it. What those four words really mean. How important it is. So this is where the whole entire story gets way, way, way more interesting. It turns and gets crazy. Jesus wasn't worried about judging because, like I said, it was going to happen anyway. Um, didn't take any work for the world to be judged. It's going to happen. But he came to bring a way of salvation, a way to put people on the right side of this judgment. That was why he came. Now, I've explained it before, but I will explain it again, and I will explain it a million times, praise God, hopefully before I die. I pray that every single day I can explain the salvation message to someone else. I wish that I'd never have to stop preaching it. You know, the truth is, is if every single week I come up here and all I did was tell you the salvation message, the Holy Spirit would come and people would still be getting saved and you guys would be growing. Even if I gave you the same message every week about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the personification of every single aspect of God. You can study from Genesis to Revelation. But if you studied Matthew through John, you can get the exact same out of God. I believe that Jesus is the utmost of what God is because it's every single aspect of his love, of his compassion, of his, his righteousness, his justice, all crammed into a living body that you can look at and you can understand God's real love, his real justice. All these things applied. That's why Jesus is so important. That's why he's not just some guy. He's really, really important. So I've explained it again, and I'm so excited to explain it one more time. <clears throat> there are laws of this universe can, that cannot be broken. Think of that. Just as there are laws <clears throat> in the state, in the country, those are important, right? But we can still break them, can't we? They say that we can't. There's a, there's a judgment if we do break them, but we can. There are laws in the universe that physically cannot be broken. They are... 100%. They cannot be bent. They cannot be contorted. They cannot be reshaped, even by God himself. Have you ever heard that before? Can you believe that there's laws that God cannot change? There are things about this universe that he put into motion that he cannot stop, that he cannot rearrange. The old question of, can God make a rock so heavy that he can't lift, right? <clears throat> can God nuke a burrito so hot that it will melt his mustache when he eats it? <clears throat> you know what I mean? People ask these dumb questions. There are still things that, believe it or not, God can't do. He can't, he can't fight these universal laws. God can't make a rock that's too big for him to lift. That's the answer. No. You wonder why? Because he can't negate his own truth. 
So how could he build a rock that's bigger than what, you know, what he is? That, that doesn't make any sense. How, does that take anything away from God? I don't know. I guess maybe that really weakens my faith in God. You can't build a rock that's too big for him to lift. What a pansy God. Don't want to follow him. All right, so here's the deal. Like I said, there are laws that are solid through and through. You can't be bent. And one of these is stated in the Bible in Romans 6.23, the first half of it. It says this, the wages of sin is death. Now, wages are something that you earn, right? You guys all probably work, right? Wages are a very important part of your job, are they not? Because it doesn't matter how bad or how good your job is, best part of it is that day when they give you that check, isn't it? You're darn right it is. That's happy. I didn't get paid last week because I was off. I'm pretty stoked. I'm getting two weeks paycheck this this week, you know? That's the important, the wages. That's what I'm looking forward to, right? Something that you earn. And sin is something that has been declared by the Bible, by the universe, as evil, as things that are wrong. Sin isn't just declared by the Bible as wrong. Sin is a universal wrong, okay? The universe holds this true. The Bible says that every single one of us have committed sin. There's no way around it. Don't try to act like you haven't. You have. That all of us have taken part in this evil. An example for you. Have you guys read the Ten Commandments? There's a bunch of them in there. Such as, thou shalt not. I don't know. Take your pick. What's your favorite? Lie. I'm sure none of you guys have ever lied, right? Here, (laughs) just say, I've never lied. And you just lied. And you're a sinner. There's so many different ones. And then, you know what's even crazier, too, is all these different ones. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. All these different things, right? And it goes all through, and you guys think, oh, I haven't done some of those, you know. And it says, you know, thou shalt not steal. I know some of you guys have stolen. You guys have all been, I think I probably stole bubble gum or something from a candy store when I was younger. Who knows? Whatever. And then Jesus came, too, and he added more to this, if you guys didn't know it. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, but I tell you, if you look... At a woman with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery. And he says, I tell you that, it says, thou shalt not commit murder, but if you hate in your heart a brother, then you are as close to the fires of hell as someone who committed murder. Wow, so I'm also a murderer and an adulterer as well. That definitely kind of stacks up, doesn't it? Cameron Graper, murderous, adulterous, lying, cheating, stealing. (sighs) That's sad, isn't it? Kind of hurts. That means that every single one of us is destined for death. That's what the universal law states. Oh, I forgot to tell you. It also says in the Bible that if you break one of them, you broke them all. Oh, that's even worse, isn't it? They said if you broke one, oh, you might as well have broke them all because sin is sin and it's evil. So what, basically what the universe says then is if we've committed sin, we are destined for hell. That is the law. Absolutely. And this isn't like death is in eternal rest, like you're figuring, I'm going to die and I'm going to sit in a coffin and hang out with the bugs and the worms. It's not. This is eternal death. Um, the Bible calls it a lake of fire. They also refer to it as hell, which is quite often what we refer to it as. Um, and they call it a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping, obviously, crying. Gnashing of teeth, I'm guessing, basically the gritting of your teeth in pain. If you ever guys see anyone in really pain, they take and they squeeze their teeth together really tight because of the pain. It's a, pain of, it's a place of tremendous pain, a place of anguish. That's what the Bible says is the wages for sin. 
Yay, look what you guys have all earned. Isn't that an exciting, exciting thing that you've earned? Now, this weight has been put on our shoulders. This is universal. This is the law. And there's nothing that we could do about it. Absolutely not. It is shouldered on top of you. And it is your mantle to take with you to death. That's the truth of how it was. So when you see this, you see the futility of judging the world, letting people know that this is their future, just to tell them, doesn't really do any good, does it? Hey, congratulations, going to hell. Yay, right? Why would Jesus come to do that? Why would he come to judge and to condemn like that? It's already the truth. So this is where it starts to make sense. Jesus said he didn't come to judge, but to save the world. Hey, our God in his creative genius, believe it or not, in his perfection, he found a loophole. Because like I said, these universal laws cannot be bent and cannot be broken. But our God is amazing and our God is creative and he found a loophole around this very law. This is like what good lawyers do, basically. They have a law and they find something that kind of hooks around it and say, hey, but what about this? And this is what our God did for us. He found a loophole in this universal law. The loophole, you might know him as Jesus Christ. He is the loophole. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth and lived a sinless life, one of perfection. And then he was murdered by being crucified on a cross. He died. Well, here's the deal. We just talked about law. We just talked about the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned. You know what that means? Jesus couldn't die. By physical law, by what the universe says, Jesus cannot die because he had never sinned. He was perfect and he could not sin because of obviously his relationship with God. So he could not die. But he died. So what does this mean? Here's the deal. Jesus had not sinned and therefore by this universal law he could not die. But he took all of our sin with him to the cross. And that is what allowed him to die. The Bible says that instead of carrying his own sins to the cross, it talks about the fact that literally he carried each and every one of our sins to the cross with him. Those before him, those in that day, and those far down the line, a.k.a. you and me. He carried our our, our sins up to that cross and was nailed with our sins on his back. So, before, during, after, everyone. The Bible says that after this, and this is an amazing picture, I, I'd like to see like a movie do this. It says that when he died, he went and he took the keys of death away from Satan. What Jesus had done is he had broken this, this whole entire universal law that I told you about, about people, wages of sin is death, and he had found this loophole and he took away death from Satan. Because now, it's Jesus's. If you believe in him, you don't have to experience it. That's what he's saying. He holds on to them now. He paid for every one of our sins by his death on the cross. I've heard it explained this way, and I want to explain it to you this way as well. You're sitting in a courtroom, okay? And you've been charged for this ridiculous crime. And they sit you down, and they post bail at like $3 million. You guys don't have $3 million, right? So you're sitting there, you're thinking, I am locked up. Seriously. Seriously, they say, you know, you're facing whatever, 20 years in prison, life in prison, or $3 million bail. And you just hang your head because you realize the fact that there's no way I can ever, ever pay for this. I cannot afford it. And then out of nowhere, this guy just stands up, says, here, here's $3 million. He pays bail. 
says, you can go ahead. You're free. Go ahead and walk out. Now, just a second ago, you realized the fact that there was no way you were going to become free again. You had this, and then suddenly this man just stepped in, and he paid for every bit of that. The judge says, you're free to go. Your debt has been paid. You no longer owe anything. All that crime we just talked about, it's been taken care of. You don't have to go to jail. You can go out and do whatever you want. This is exactly what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross for us. It says that Jesus went and he paid for every single one of our sins. He took that sin and he carried it with him. And he paid for the price that we could not possibly ever pay for. We could never, ever pay for ourselves. And Jesus paid for it for us. John 3.16. Some of you guys might have heard it before. It's a very, very common um, scripture verse that's used all the time. But it's perfectly fitting in what it says. Here's what it says if you guys haven't heard it before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the fact that if you believe in Jesus Christ and you count on him now that he died for your sins, that you do not have to suffer that eternal death. Instead, you get eternal life. So you probably heard that before, but I ask you this. Have you guys actually spent the time to take and read 17 and 18? Do you guys know 17 and 18? Or just do you just know John 3.16? Here's what 17 and 18 says. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what I was just talking about. Here, right after this, this probably the most used verse in the Bible, John 3.16, 17 and 18 state exactly what I just talked about. I judge no one. You just guys haven't looked at it, have you? You probably haven't read it lately. Right after it, it says, I did not send him to condemn the world, to judge it, but I sent him to save it. Here, I want to read it to you real quick um, in the message. It says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind son of God when introduced to him. I like that. What it says is exactly what Jesus says. I did not come to judge, to condemn this world. I came to save it. That's my point. And like I said, right after John 3.16. So what do you know? It's right there, but we probably haven't looked at it lately. The Bible says that if we do not count Jesus Christ as our Savior, it's back to square one. The wages of sin is death. If we count on him what he did on the cross for us, if we count on him to save us from our sins, then guess what? We get the second half of Romans 6.23, which I didn't tell you earlier. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second half of that is a lot better, isn't it? It talks about the fact that if, man, sin, death, Christ, life. Just as easy as that. If we do this, we're forgiven of our sins and we get to go to heaven. This is the place of eternal happiness, the exact opposite of hell. A place of eternal love, 
a place of just amazing, amazing love. Can you imagine getting to spend all of eternity? If that guy come in and he and he paid for your entire ransom, that guy, would you just walk out or would you probably want to go meet that guy? Hang out with him and be like, why are you so nice? Why would you help me? It says that when we die, we get to go to heaven and we get to hang out with that guy who paid for all that. We get to actually talk to him about how cool he is and say, you know, why would you do it? Why'd you come and why'd you pay for me? What was I so special for? We get to be in that place. If we do this, like I said, we're forgiven, get to go to heaven, but here's the deal. It is only by Jesus. Don't let anyone else fool you into thinking that it's something else because it's absolutely not. It is only by Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2, 5-6 through 6 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. It says, don't believe everyone else who says there's all these different ways to heaven because it's not true. It says, there's one man who came and died. That's different than anything else you're going to find in any other religion. One man who came and he became the mediator between God and you. He's the one who takes and he works on the in-between. When we come to that judgment day that I told you about in the past, I told you about this, this final day, all of us are going to be judged. We're all going to get to go and God's going to say, what's up? Are you righteous? Are you unrighteous? It says that Jesus is going to be there if you believe in him. And he's going to stand up as just as a lawyer does in a court and says, no, his debt's been paid. When he stands up and, he, and God has all the right to fire at you and tell you all the different things, the charges against you, Jesus Christ stands up and says, wait, all that's been paid for. None of that counts. The record's clean. God says, you're right, the record's clean. Because through Jesus Christ, he can't see your faults anymore. And he says, you're right. Welcome on in. And you're welcomed into heaven. We're saved and we are set free because of Jesus Christ. Now some people, maybe in the audience, would say the fact that, man, I've done way too much wrong. I know there's Jesus Christ. I've heard this story about this guy who comes and he paid for sins and he did all this awesome stuff, but I have done way too much. I have sunk way too low and I have done far too many things wrong for a man like this to come and take care of me. It's not going to happen. This is absolutely and completely wrong. Jesus Christ is more powerful than any force in the world. He found this loophole around this universal law. In fact, Jesus Christ actually addresses this entire situation by his own words in the Bible. He actually talks about this in Luke 7. If you guys want to go there, or if you just want to write it down so you can go back to it, because it's a very, very important verse, obviously. Luke 7, 36 through 50. It's a story about a woman, and I want to read it for you. I'm going to read it to you in the message because I like reading in the message. One of the Pharisees asked him over a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then a woman of the village, the town harlot, harlot, if you guys know what that means, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisees, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who's falling all over him. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. 
one owed 500 silver pieces and the other 50. Neither one could pay up, and so the banker canceled both the debts. Which one of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, Jesus said. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing to freshen me up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That set the guest, taking, that set the guest talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So everything I just said about believing maybe it's just too much. He addresses it right there in Scripture. He says it's never too much. And he says the people who think they've done too much, when they come to know me, they love me all the more because they see how much I really changed them. They see how much I really saved them for. Saul, do you guys have read the Bible much, who became Paul, the great, great evangelist, great writer, Saul talked about the fact that he says, of sinners, he says, there is none worse than me. This man watched and basically helped kill Christians. He fought against them, and he made sure that they were being murdered for their faith. And then he was saved. And he wrote in one of his letters, there is none worse than me, and that Christ somehow saved me. There is nothing that you could ever do that could separate you too far from God to bring you back. There is nothing that you could ever do that Christ could not forgive that Christ did not pay for on the cross. It is taken care of. And if you believe in him, you are free from those sins. So, John twelve forty seven, the one we talked about in the beginning. If you guys want to flip back there, if you guys have, have flipped around, it says this once again. As for the person who hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. Jesus' words. He did not come to judge the world, but he came to save it. He said it himself, but did he really mean it? And did he really live that in his life? Because if he said it, it's one thing, and I can believe that, but do we have proof that he really lived that in his life? And I want you guys to turn to John 8. Yet another story of a woman with Jesus. And I'm going to read it to you in the message again. I want you guys to listen to this. Starting in 1. Jesus went across to Mount Olives. But he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The religious scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. 
Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Jesus absolutely lived what he said in his life. He did not come to judge, but he came to save. Let me tell you that if Jesus wanted to, he could have read this woman the riot act. He could have listed every single sin that he saw in her because Jesus was a prophet. I'm sure he saw the sin that was in her eyes. I'm I'm sure that he saw the pain that was carried on his heart. And I mean, he could have laid into this woman and showed her how horrible of a person she was, how much she needed God. He could have absolutely just demolished her and said, you are such a sinner, you absolutely need God. But was that Jesus' point? Was to come here and to judge? No. All he said to her, he said, "Where where are your condemners? She said, there's none. And he says, I don't condemn you either. That's Jesus Christ. That's his love. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Neither do I condemn you. When I read this, the thing I come back to is my salvation itself. Man, when I came to Jesus Christ, he could have read me the riot act. He could have told me, do you have any idea how many times you have mocked me? Do you have any idea how many times you have spit in my face? Do you have any idea how many times you have been impure? You have been lustful. You have been evil, hurtful, malicious. Do you have any idea how many times I've taken you back and you've turned around and just made everything that I did worth nothing? But he didn't. Jesus Christ basically just gave me a hug and said, neither do I condemn you. That's Jesus Christ's love. So are you getting a glimpse of it? Are you starting to understand it even just a little bit? Are you starting to see what this whole entire message series is about who jesus is what he did are you starting to see how amazing he was how loving he was how cool this man was are you starting to get the fact that i mean this is a man who literally said i bring a sword and yet he was so amazingly loving to say neither do i condemn you when he saw this girl does he not start to stand out in your mind as being something special Jesus said he did not come to judge the world, but he came to save it. And what does this mean? What it means is that he did not come to judge you, but he came to save you. You. Not metaphorically you, I mean you. God did not come to judge you, but he came to save you. That was his purpose. That's why he came. So you've heard me explain it all another time, or maybe the first time. And maybe tonight you're saying, this finally actually makes sense. This really is starting to actually, it clicks. I understand this, Jesus Christ. I understand what you're talking about, what it means. And if that's the truth, there's something that says in the Bible in Romans 10, 9 through 10. It says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says that you will be saved. Saved from what? That eternal law that I spoke from in the beginning. That if you believe exactly what I told you, that Jesus Christ came and he died for your sins, that doesn't mean you don't have any doubt. Man, you can have doubt. Say, I don't know yet. But you believe and you hold fast to the fact that I can't do this on my own. I can't take care of my own sin. But Jesus Christ can and I'm going to count on him. It says that you will be saved. If that's the truth, I want you to come see me. I want you to come talk to me. I want you to let someone else know that that's the decision that you've made tonight. If you don't do it tonight, if you do it later, man, write us on the MySpace. Give me a call on my cell phone. People who are listening to this podcast, whatever. 
get a hold of somebody. Me, if you can, maybe, let me know. Say, man, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I realize the fact that I can't take care of myself. Jesus is the only one who can do it. For some of you out there, you said, I've already received salvation. I've already done this. Well, then really my prayer to you is the fact that over these past four weeks, and especially tonight, you've fallen deeper in love with Jesus Christ. That when you leave, you see him in a whole new, new light, and you realize the salvation that I have, I don't ever want to take for granted. I want to live it to the utmost because I realize that this man is so amazingly perfect, and I never, ever want to displease him. I pray that when you leave tonight, when you continue in your life, you decide that you really want to live like Jesus Christ. You want to live just like him, not condemning this world, but you came to save it. You came to be part of that. I want to pray with you real quick. Lord, I thank you for tonight. And um, Jesus, I pray to you that you would just truly work on our hearts. I pray to you, God, that if there are some here tonight, that are, there are some later listening to this podcast, and they really feel just you tugging at their heart, they feel the fact that they absolutely need to need to have you on their side that they don't have salvation they need you i just pray to you that you would just um you would just come to them at that time i pray to you that you would put people in their way um jesus christ if you can just to bring them to me lord god um people tonight if you if you have that uh just that longing in your heart come see me afterwards um give me a call whatever you need to do but talk to me and it says in the bible that today is the day of salvation that life is too short to wait and if you see this as being something man grab a hold of it don't walk away. Don't let it slip through your fingers again. It's too, too important. I pray to you, Jesus, that tonight, those people who do have salvation, Lord, as I said, that you would just be deeper in their heart than you ever have been before, that you would be more of their spirit than you ever have been before. And I just pray to you that you would just absolutely change people from the inside out. It's in your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen.